Welcome to the last episode of the first series of Vision of Sound. Don't worry, we're not going forever. We'll be back next spring, but this is the last episode in this series and it's a bit different from normal. So rather than inviting a guest on, which we did actually try and do, but it didn't work, it's myself speaking to Francis Redman, who has been absolutely integral to this podcast. He has helped with the editing he's made the soundtrack he's team he's team 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 so it is francis and i talking about series one and some of our highlights some of the challenges highlights from different episodes some of our favorite kind of tracks that have been in there and things like that we talk a little bit about the podcast in the context of what's been going on recently as well with the pandemic and the kind of struggles and challenges that the arts are facing at the moment. We'll give you a bit more information about Series 2 at the end of this episode, but for now, here's a recap of what we've done over the past few months in Series 1. Hi, Georgie. Hi, Francis. How are you doing? I'm okay, thank you. We were we're doing a bit of an improvised recording today, I suppose. Me talking to you about Vision of Sound Series 1. It is indeed. Why did you decide to do this? We were talking about this for a while, or I know you've been talking about this for a while. We're in a landscape where there are a lot of podcasts popping up all the time, and I think that can seem like... that. That's just people sort of just having ideas and suddenly doing things. But actually, this is something you were thinking about for a long time before doing it. Is that right? I think I started doing initial test introductions on my phone about two years ago when I was sort of, um, I was working part time as a gardener. And I remember thinking about this idea quite a lot. And I'd sort of stop and start doing pretend intros just to kind of um, get myself used to the idea of doing it and sort of see if it would be viable I've done a bit of kind of public speaking and lecturing and stuff like that but this is the first project that I've done that has been really audio based so getting used to the idea of doing something really audio based rather than visual was the first kind of step really and what was it that made you want to do this it's a mixture of I'm genuinely really interested in artists and creative people that make work about music my bookshelf for example there's lots of books by photographers like Beza there's like rock and roll photography books and things like that and books about flies and books about zines it was just a kind of way to kind of explore that interest a bit further and the other reason was that being a music photographer myself well actually I don't really like to call myself a music photographer I like to call myself a photographer that takes pictures of music sometimes it's part of what I do It's not everything that I do. But in any case, being involved in music, I think on a personal level, doing this podcast and talking to other people that are involved in music, but not necessarily making music themselves or not necessarily DJing, allows me to investigate why I'm so interested in it and why I'm doing it as well and answer some of my own questions around it and allow me to expand on ideas and thoughts that I've had around it for a long time things like ethics, things like motivation, things like community and drive, you know, why I'm drawn to music, 
helps me to answer these questions um, and also shines a light on all of those people because often they're kind of really integral to a music scene or a genre but don't get enough credit or enough exposure or enough they're not celebrated enough I guess this kind of touches perhaps a bit on one of the things that that really sticks in my mind from all the podcasts is Emma Warren talking about musicking Mm. and the different people involved in in music being part of making music happen yeah I really love that and Emma sort of presenting that idea which was written by Christopher Small she reads out a quote by Christopher Small which explains what musicking is was really sort of like wow like that's what I've been doing all this time and that's what all of these people that are involved in music have been doing for so long and are still doing and having that description and label almost like places more value on what we do Mm. what you've said is I think if I remember that that was kind of how she felt when she heard it and if I'm right I've seen on social channels since you've been putting up these podcasts that that's been one of the things that people have reacted to yeah Emma's episode is a really popular episode and that particular conversation about musicking has definitely been picked up by a lot of people which is really nice I think it's had the same effect on a lot of people that oh finally there's this word for what I do related to that I know that when you're doing these things that promoting things is a lot of work and I know that it's been a lot of work to obviously get the pods together but also to just let people know about them has you felt that you're kind of engaging with the community as well in doing these has there been a non-work side of the interaction that you're getting with people it's getting there I feel more like uh you know what I'm about to say sounds really obvious but the people that I've spoken to for the podcasts the different guests it's allowed me to get to know them and their work better and I feel more invested in what they do even now you know I'm sort of following them even more closely and supporting them even more because I have more of an insight into what drives them and how hard they work you know Mm. Um, outside of the guests there is slowly a community building I think podcasts are quite abstract really because you know I have some sense of how many people are listening but the stats aren't necessarily that accurate so it's quite hard to tell who exactly is properly engaging with the podcasts I think we're in the region of 2,000 people a month are listening to them in some way or another. So that might be listening to a whole episode or it might just be listening to a little bit. But um, it's been really nice like, to receive comments on Twitter and in, on Instagram and in Instagram DMs from people that have really enjoyed the episodes. It got a particularly nice comment from an artist in a, was it Aruba. I think um just sort of expressing her experience of listening to the episodes and what they meant to her and you know sort of that she really identified with a lot of what the guests were saying and it m- helped her to understand her own work better so that was really nice this being your first piece of work with audio how did it compare as a process compared to other things that you'd worked on well for a start most of the things that I do work on have some kind of relation to photography or they come back to me picking up my camera. And that is something that I've been doing for so long that I don't even really have to think twice unless I'm using specific lighting or I've got a kind of challenging environment to work in. Um, You know, it's fairly instinctive. This is instinctive on the 
ideas and production level, but not on the technical side. So that's been a big learning curve, especially going from interviewing people in real life and working all that stuff out. Having you involved has been great because I wouldn't have been able to do really well. I would have been able to do it, but it would have been completely yeah starting from complete zero but yeah so I've had to I've had to have other people help me really which is in a way is a first I'm so used to just getting on and doing things on my own was that difficult uh not at all no it's I found that actually really easy um I think that's partly because I trust you and I trust Ian and also it's just a thing of like I guess in a way I'm, I'm I'd like to think that I'm quite easygoing to a certain extent as well and I just I think you're easy going the only sort of time that I've really felt anxious has been in the last couple of weeks trying to figure out the last episode <laughs> of this series because it felt like it had to be a bit different to the others and I had a couple of attempts at the final episode and they didn't work out for various reasons with guests and now we're here doing this episode mm. like this. I am open to that. I'm down I'm down with just in a way sort of having a plan and trying to stick to it, but being willing and open to adapting and going with the flow where necessary. And I think that really good things can happen as a result of not being too rigid and not being too overly anxious about stuff or perfectionist or you know, wanting to have it exactly the same every time. Yeah, surprisingly so, I would say I've not been that anxious during this podcast production. If we imagine a performance in which the members of the orchestra sold the tickets, arranged their own seating and moved the piano around and where everyone, audience, as well as conductor, soloist and orchestra members stayed afterwards to clean up, there would be brought into existence a set of human relationships, another kind of society. It would not necessarily be a better society, but we may be sure that those taking part would not remain strangers to one another for very long. And that's by Christopher Small from Musicking the Meanings of Performing and Listening. Going back to, all the way back to, well, not all the way back to the beginning, but back to the beginning of this actually happening. You, The first podcast that went out was the Jeremy Della podcast, and that was also the first one you recorded. Yeah. Jeremy Della is, in terms of profile, is maybe one of the highest profile people you interviewed as well. So how was that, the first recording you do being Jeremy Della? 
It was insane. You couldn't make it up, really. I mean, he's not just got a high profile, but he's also one of my favourite living artists. You know, I'm so inspired by him. I really love his work. I've got pretty much all of his books. I've been to pretty much every exhibition of his that I can possibly go to. I just think he's brilliant. And it was a huge, pleasant shock for him to even say yes to doing the interview, considering the podcast hadn't even been released so anything about it other than what I was what I was saying come on my podcast we're going to talk about music and art you know but maybe there aren't that many things that do that that's true and if you and then and you are obviously someone who is doing that as well and who has done that so yes you're saying come on my podcast and it doesn't exist yet but also he can see your work and he can see what you've done Mm. there aren't that many places where something as nuanced as documenting artists who are involved in music can talk about that relationship can can also can talk about it in a long form and engaging way Mm. I don't know if there's anything exactly like this I mean there, there there are a few podcasts and there's been a few that have popped up as well since we started ours in a way I feel like I don't know whether it was the kind of subject of the podcast that that was the motivation for Jeremy Della to say yes. I mean, or anyone. Um, do you think that people are actually quite excited about the idea of being able to talk about what they're doing in the format that you're giving them? Yeah, I mean, I think so, and I think, but I think also a lot of it is down to timing. So mm. I get the impression with Jeremy Della that he had a lot to say at that particular time. I think he wanted to talk about. Um, Putin's Happy which was the film that he made about Brexit and he had an exhibition on at the time so I imagine it's quite a nice thing to be able to talk about your ideas and your work and because he's because of his kind of status he has that he's in that sort of position to be able to say yes or no to stuff depending on how he's feeling or whether he has something to say at that particular time so it could just have been a timing thing. you interpret history through popular culture as well as through political change and all these things are connected, it just made sense. You could tell the history of Britain through music being played and being danced to. You can do that from any era, really. You know, even just thinking now, you could make a history of Britain through the eyes of music. I was trying to tell the history of a country, really, through music, through what that music led to or where that music came from. It was the way to explain this project with this brass band playing a acid house. But also, it's basically the, the script for the film I made as well. It's more or less that diagram come to life, but without the brass bands, but with everything else. All the politics and the history from Chicago and so on, free parties, it's all there in that diagram, which I did in 96. Across the seven episodes, mm. obviously there have been themes have there been things that have come up over and over again that have surprised you or that you weren't expecting that is a good question off the top of my head I can't think of anything I think well actually 
the interview with Brian Cross, B+, to be honest, pretty much everything he said surprised me. Um, <laughs> I just was blown away by so much of what he said. I, you know, I learned so much from talking to him and researching for the interview that I did with him for the Carvery Studio. Um, just the way that he links what he does back to philosophies like he was talking about rhizomes and you know how culture and art and culture is like a rhizome so we often think of of history and culture as 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 like a tree with roots and a trunk and branches that grow upwards and outwards that's a very common way of thinking about culture and art and history you know we think of music in terms of lineage and timelines and things like that or family trees you know this genre is related to this genre and this idea is related to this idea whereas he explained culture as a rhizome and sort of in that sense that it is constantly popping up all over the place it's all connected and you can't really see exactly where the beginning is Mm. you know there are a, a gazillion beginnings so there are no endings it's infinite and that really sort of seeing it like that has been an absolute game changer for me in my thinking it was yeah listening to him was it was interesting because what he was talking about sounds and ethereal you know you're saying that that was a game changer for you when I was listening to that that made me feel the same sort of things that I felt after I did a degree where I'd been taught to explore things in a kind of linear research based way that having done that that I was able to look at things in a with a different kind of process and that's very exciting when you learn something new and when you learn a new way to look at things but that was a three-year course and I felt quite similar and excited about the world and excited about culture and excited about music and very galvanized over what 40 minutes it was very powerful yeah it was I really enjoyed really enjoyed that chat I mean I enjoyed all of them and it's interesting because there are a lot of things that might have surprised the listener, but didn't really surprise me because in a way they were already the reason I was doing this podcast. The fact that so many of the guests talked about community is not a surprise to me because I've been part of music communities myself. Oddly, it that was the thing that surprised me. Not that people talk, spoke about community. We always talk about community and I know that all conversations about music tend to be conversations about uh, community as well it's not that it surprised me that it came up but the fact that to me the podcast series had two threads and one was the thread talking about art and the other thing was a thread talking about the world and the other people around us and how we engage with them because I'm not young and I was surprised at how many things I've learned about myself and about the world and how many new ideas I've got with regards to that you know this is a nice surprise that I suppose in my opinion community has become a word that we use a bit too easily and a bit too readily Mm. oh we're building a community on Instagram or whereas all of these conversations were not about that they were about how do we improve our world and how do we enrich our world and how do we enrich each other it's so nice to hear that I mean that's the thing it's when I'm inspired by them and I've had messages from other people saying that they're inspired by them, but you still kind of, 
it's hard to be completely sub- subjective, sorry, objective about them and, mm. and realise that, yeah, other people are listening to them and really getting a lot from them. So I guess what I'm saying is it, it made me feel a lot less cynical. And that's definitely a good thing. That's great. Yeah, we all need a lot, a lot more of that. You know, I had this experience like where before he died, Dilla was working on a record that came out on BBE and there's a song on there called, I think it's called Jungle Love. And, uh, I was spending a lot of time around then with Will in Colombia. I was starting to go to Colombia for the first time. And we were finding all these rhythms and, you know, from the northeast of Colombia. And there was one rhythm particularly that was called Mapale. And I was particularly interested in there was this one song that was really compelling. And um, I don't know how he did it. I don't know where his influence came from, but that song, Jungle Love, it sounds like it could have been made in the northeast of Colombia. And he programmed it. It wasn't like something he sampled. Where did that come from? There's ways that we access knowledge and there's ways that we embody certain kinds of knowledge that isn't explained rationally by like, oh, and then he read the book and then he met that guy. And then he just, no, that's where we got to get to. Like that's where to be attuned to that kind of knowledge is, is something to aspire to really. I think that's what we need. We require this from our historians. We should require this from our scientists. We should require this from our politicians or leaders or whatever is that level of sensitivity. And if you don't have it, you're not qualified. You get to sit down. Should we talk about each of the episodes or should we talk about the episodes that we haven't spoken about if we start with Wimsum and George Nindy? Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to George and Wimmy because it was two guests together and they know each other and sort of bounce off each other. And at some points in the conversation, they were almost like interviewing each other, which was great. And they really were the first guests to really, really talk about community and what it means in terms of music and being involved in music as artists and creative people. And it was really nice to listen to them talk about Steam Down and also Unit 31 and other kind of arts collectives that they're involved in and how being part of them kind of allows them to have discussions about things like identity Um, because obviously that's something that I don't really have any experience of myself. I am a white woman that was born in England and my parents were born in England and like in Wimmy's case like second generation African man in London and, and an artist and how being part of those communities allows like he and George to have kind of conversations about identity so that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just, it's just their general energy. Those two are just brilliant. They're hilarious and clever and 
you know, so insightful and so much enthusiasm for the things that they do and the things that they like doing and the artists that they like. You could just genuinely feel how passionate they are about music. Um, I loved it. And um, they also talked about what it's like being a freelancer and how being part of a community is really useful in that way. Everyone's trying to sort of help each other out and make sure that everyone's getting fed, which is great. Like community and family are good words to describe it, where it really is. You've got all sorts of different people and they are all part of the same thing. It's not just the band and then there's other people on the side. Seems like a lot of people who have been getting involved are all trying to, they all feel the same way that I do. And they're all trying to put positive, I guess, energy into it. There's a thing we've seen done, it's like everybody's adding their thing to the melting pot to this big cauldron of whatever it is that we're making and we're not necessarily giving it so that we can receive we're giving it because whoever needs it can take Yeah, Ali Graham's one was interesting in the sense that in a way he's part of a huge global community. Like he he is an illustrator that is known for Little Yay, which is an Instagram account. And he draws these kind of cutesy pictures of Kanye West in different scenarios that are often based on his lyrics. Not just Kanye West, Jay-Z, Beyonce, and most recently um, Anderson Pack. And his community and his audience are hip-hop heads around the world basically and that's quite mind-blowing you know he's really working on a different level to myself and a lot of the people that I know that are involved in music I didn't know his work before it was a nice way to be introduced to his work was to listen to the conversation and then go and explore it at the end Mm. yeah he's doing really well as well like it's great to sort of talk to people that started out doing something and through being so consistent with what they do and disciplined Mm. which he talks about you know he for example drew a different jay-z 99 problem every single day without fail and Mm. uploaded it and that's helped to grow his audience so it's really nice to see and hear people talk about that um yeah that discipline is interesting maybe because it's a cartoon and there's a humorous element perhaps it's a bit the same as we all assume that comedians are just funny people, that they're just going through their life having a laugh. And that's not the case. And all creative outputs, you know, to be good, they need time, they need discipline. 
Yeah. Me personally, I find that discipline harder now that there's so many distractions. You know, the internet and social media is so distracting and it's almost like mm. I'm constantly thinking about that. In in some way or another, it's always in my head. You know, Instagram or Twitter is always in my head in one way or another. Mm. I mean, I'm able to do it, but I really have to be very conscious about getting myself into a zone if I need to concentrate and finish something. And that's another thing that's interesting about Ali is that he has somehow managed to create this huge online audience, but he wouldn't have been able to do that if he wasn't able to switch off from that audience. Uh, it was so great, like last week, seeing him or seeing Anderson Pack upload an animated video Anderson Pack and Ali had made together. I was just like, wow, that's, he's really just moving, really moving mad right now. <laughs> Doctor told me I should rest, but I ain't gonna never ever quit. I like girls with pretty feet, yeah. Ain't really talking about nothing. No. Say you 25 when you really 32, baby, gon' need, gon' stop friend. Bottom on the club, cause stack. You ain't even got 900. Whoa. Been 10 with the bus down the barang, got my whole down name, got my whole down name. My day, you put it together on that white jet like Othello. I don't check emails, barely be texting. CC me, you be talking reckless, pick it all yellow, foot on the pedal. My bitch just be devil, that's vroom, 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 They won't catch us, never. Beyonce, my halo, my angel, my devil. My shooters come through with the doo 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 doo, man, I'm telling you. I got the heart of a and this artist called JID and his manager kind of messaged me out of the blue saying, hey, can you send this to me? I want to share it. I was like, yeah, cool, of course. By the way, if you ever need any visuals, any whatever, let me know. And I sort of mentioned the video game. He was like, tell me more about this video game idea. And I just, just within the space of a day, I just kind of thought, pitched it and he was like yep that's exactly what we've been looking for do it they've been like a really cool group to collaborate with and I got to meet them in London I, I made them these little custom toys based on the characters from the game and again just re really spare of the moment random little seeds and that was a really really good project Should we talk about Shauna Gavin? Shauna is a fantastic person, really great artist who I think you'll hear at the beginning of the podcast, me being quite emotional about it, um, about her work, about her book, Spiraled, which sort of documents her time with traveling sound system communities around Europe in the 90s when she was a teenager. Mm. And I genuinely, genuinely did feel really emotional when I was looking at her book. You know, I was trying to sort of work out why that was through this conversation with her. And I think it was that kind of freedom that she expresses through her photos and through her diaries that are also in the book that made me feel emotional. And the fact that that freedom was, you know, being threatened a lot by the police and, um, the criminal justice bill that was trying to sort of shut down raves and stop them from happening. 
and there's what there's one of her diary entries which we don't really go into in detail in the podcast where she talks about being stopped by the police and pretty much getting sort of scuffed up by them which is is sickening to think about mm. that they would do that to anyone let alone a 15 year old girl because of music I mean, there's no excuse for it anyway, as far as I'm concerned. There's no justification in any situation. But when you sort of add on to the fact that it was be- the, their reasoning was because of music, is just how, like, what kind of world are we living in where, you know, people are being prevented, aggressively prevented from gathering and dancing and listening to music and relaxing and enjoying themselves? I mentioned earlier about feeling less cynical through listening to these podcasts. And I think... That was a really important episode in doing that. Um, I think we have to be careful at the moment to not make everything about COVID-19. But a lot of the things that you're talking about, about her experience in the past, have a kind of relevance to today in terms of we're talking a lot about freedoms and civil liberties and perhaps a necessary reason to not gather and all of these things, but also how is the enforcement of that going to be carried out and what's that going to look like in the future? Mm. and even outside of this whole pandemic thing certainly in this country I think we're feeling that same kind of political agenda grow that was around at the time of the criminal justice bill you know even if this hadn't happened that's the conversation we're talking about already and listening to that again it comes down to this idea of community and what she's talking about is community and she's talking about these beautiful memories I mean well obviously not all of them but a lot of the things she's talking about are very positive memories of community and she's documented that and there's so much hope in those images and so much warmth and as much as things can be difficult and as much as systems can shut things down and as much as there will unfortunately it seems always be difficulties for people doing these kind of things people still do them absolutely yeah and and we do create communities and those communities inspire people to go and have fulfilled lives and be positive people and be engaged people yeah also the fact is that these communities make things happen with with very little or mm. with like minimal resources which i think is a really is a really valuable lesson for perhaps a lot of the kind of bigger platforms and brands that are able to put on events and trying to put on events actually sometimes it's better to to do more with less i guess my point really is that even if you did have a lot of stuff even if you did have a lot a, a large budget and a mm. lot of resources it's not always necessarily going to create a vibe or an event that is going to be memorable and long lasting no or a community of all the conversations about these types of communities you've had through all of these episodes i can't think of one that involved a huge resource i can't i you know i can't think of one that was born from an engagement with big corporations or from an engagement with lots of funding going back to that criminal justice bill thing it's like we've had that we and we've had form 696 which really hit mm. like grime music hard and now in 2020 we're at this point where gathering and partying is is massively under threat because of not just because I mean it's hard to say I wouldn't say because of the pandemic I would say because of the governance around the pandemic and 
it's always frustrating to keep going through this, to keep having these kind of struggles and challenges together. It's frustrating. Well, it's been something we've been talking about before the pandemic that we were talking about this. I mean, certainly, you know, I'm not making it London centric, but um, there's been a conversation about venues being shut down and mm. licenses being either revoked or not renewed. And also just the fact that even if things are able to exist in order for them to exist, they need to be massive revenue streams for things to exist in certain places. If you talk to people at the moment who are trying to put on community events, none of them have been easy. Very few of them are making money and they're all labours of endeavour and labours of love. Absolutely. And I think that's partly the reason why in the past couple of weeks, just to give some context to listeners that might be listening at any point in time, it's the 23rd of October today, um, 2020. And in the past week, there's been funding announcements. So there's been a large cultural fund and that has been divvied out and split amongst different organisations that work with music and the arts. And there have been some organisations receiving up to £700,000, which is a hell of a lot of money. And, you know, on one hand, it's like, yeah, great organizations that make music and arts events happen are getting funded at the time when they most need it basically what i'm saying is there are loads of other people promoters venues people working with music that could do so much with even just a tiny fraction of that Mm. because that's what they've been doing for a long time anyway they're used to running on low budgets and that's not to say that they should like they shouldn't have to arts and music should be valued enough so that these people arranging these things and organizing these things shouldn't have to run on like tiny budgets but in a way they're the people that are experts at making things continue Mm. and I feel like that's part of the reason why there's been a lot of tension and frustration around these funding announcements this week because you know there are a lot of people that have been doing this for so long on a shoestring that haven't received anything while the people that have always had a big budget or organizations that grew very quickly and are now working with huge budgets and get lots of sponsorship and partnerships from big brands have been awarded the most it doesn't make sense in a way the people that could gain the most are getting the least the people that could could do the most Mm. and and have the most effect the people that are really able to build up communities which as we keep coming back to seems to be one of the main the main kind of elements of music and arts reaching Mm. people. It feels like a good moment to talk about Sweet Harmony and the Rendezvous project. Yeah. (laughs) And every time I hear the word Sweet Harmony, I obviously hear the tune. Or we should mention your musical highlights. Oh, yeah. That's been a big part of this series, Um, is the music. Well, I'll quickly just say then that there was a track for Shauna Gavin's episode SP32, I think they're called, which is the other name for Spiral Tribe. Forward to the Future, is that? Yeah. <laughs> the, the record, the track where everything happens. That, that track. <laughs> if you had to put one track in a, uh, what are they called? Time, not time box. Time capsule. Time capsule. If you had to put one track in a time capsule that summed up contemporary music and electronic music, of the 90s and 2000s it would be that (laughs) maybe (laughs) because yeah like you say it's got absolutely everything in it you know there's 
there's dub, there's rap, there's trance, there's like, oh, you know, let's stick a little bit of techno in there as well. Like, but I love it. I really love it. So that's been hugely one of my musical highlights because it just made me laugh out loud. And it also, it's a genuinely really good track as well. Spiral Tribe, they, when they came along, they were kind of rebelling against a lot of the sort of um, more commercial club culture that was starting to happen in this country from, you know, stemming from Acid House. They were all about free events, like non-commercially driven, donation only policy on the door. I came into the scene around 1993, but I was a baby. I was really young. I was like 15. So I was starting to attend a lot of parties in London. I met them. I met all the other sound systems and party organisers because I basically just, it became my life. I would go every single weekend. And then when they left and went to France, those other sound systems kind of followed. And then it turned into this community of like European sound systems and travellers that were basically nomadically travel around Europe, um, putting on free raves and parties all across Europe. It's a favourite. I mean, you know, I try to sort of not be selfish when making this podcast. <laughs> like the music that we choose is generally music that is talked about by the guest. You know, they they bring it up. They bring up the artist or a particular track. And in this case, it was um, Catherine Green from Rendezvous Projects talking about their project. Um Sweet Harmony, Radio Raven Record Shops, which is a history of all of those things in Wolf and Forest. We're talking about some of the stories that come up in her research. And one of them is a record shop owner talking about when Gypsy Woman came out. So you'll have to listen to the podcast to hear what we're talking about. But it was a perfect opportunity to get mm. one of my favourite tracks in. So I was quite shameless about putting that one in there. So Radio Rave and Waltham Forest, 1989 to 1994. So again, that's, um, we're talking about the same era. As Shauna Gavin's. Criminal Justice Order, 1994. It's the same period of history. As is um, a lot of what Jeremy Della's work is about. Mm, you know, yeah. he, he's, a lot of his work is about, about that time as well. Yes, yeah. His work links the, the kind of vilification of rave in the media with the vilification of the miners and working class people mm. by the media and the government in the 80s and early 90s. Mm. Um, and actually, sorry, to just go off on a tangent, these threads that run through these different episodes has been one of the most beautiful things for me about this series. There are things that just keep coming up. I'm not even just talking themes. I'm talking specific things like the criminal justice bill 
or political threads and they you can almost trace these threads like right way right the way through each episode mm. so sorry i went off on a tangent i listened to these episodes yesterday front to back and wow. um obviously started with jeremy deller and there was a thing that he says in there talking about this um or talking about what he was doing which was something to do with not talking about drugs all the time and not just talking about DJs and clubs but talking about the music and taking it seriously and taking the what it did seriously in a cultural context Mm. yeah and then I listened to everything else and I feel like that's kind of what you're doing here you know this is about taking these things seriously and that doesn't mean we remove the joy from them what that means is we consider them and consider the value that they have and the impact that they have and the implications that they had. I think it's about looking at the nuances of these things, you know. That's exactly the problem. A lot of the problems with mainstream media is they create these kind of narratives that become the dominant narrative and they become stereotypes and cliches. And yeah, people think rave, oh, drugs and hedonism. Hmm. Like, yeah, sure, that's part of it. Absolutely. But that's not all of it. There's, There's loads more to it. But that's humans, you know, it's kind of finding a point in history where that hasn't been a component of society. You know, you can, I feel like you can kind of sum that to zero, essentially. Absolutely. But that's why podcasts and zines and blogs and magazines and films and everything made by people that aren't working for mainstream media, that are independent, are so important. Which brings us back to Emma's episode where she talks so much about documenting your culture and why it's important. This is exactly why, because in people like you and I and Emma and all of the guests that I've spoken to and all of the other people doing great work, in all of those people doing what they're doing, we are squashing the mainstream narratives and opening up what music is and, you know, these subjects, opening them up and shining a light on the nuances. Mm. All of these things are a history of the world and a history of culture and a history of our collective existence. But also within that are all these stories of of smaller communities and of individual people. And, and going back to the Sweet Harmony project, that was what was really lovely about that. That yeah. I've been engaged with this sort of culture and this music for a long time. And it, I didn't think, oh, yeah, we need to archive this. We need to document this. Mm. And it's amazing that that's what they've done. I like the fact that you said um, it's a history of the world because that is the name of the map that Jeremy Della mm. drew, which connects Acid House to brass bands and the minor strike and, you know, all of these other kind of things that he looked at. You could take the Sweet Harmony project and attach that to Jeremy Della's map mm. as a very kind of local example of that. In the same way, you could take Brian's conversation, B+. So we're talking about the history of the world. He talks about that, but going way back, way back to indigenous people and, you know, Egypt and, you know, the African diaspora and how so much of what we've talked about in these podcast episodes has come back to those Mm. things. Ancient history. Mm. It's quite, quite something actually looking at all the different episodes and sort of how they're all connected. Mm. I don't know what, I can't remember what your question was though. Sorry. Uh, no, we were just talking about different things. Um, the Rendezvous Project, 
it was a really inspiring piece of work to collect those first person views or those accounts. Yeah, they did really well. They did really well with that project. Um, In terms of the history of the world, how valuable that is. I think we're talking about ancient history. At some point, this will be ancient history if we're still all here, if you haven't mapped it up too much. And having those types of accounts is invaluable. It's amazing how much history one place can have. That's what I think, think I learned from that conversation with Catherine. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I really I enjoyed that conversation as well, because Catherine really sort of highlights and emphasises the importance of there being places and support for young people and the creativity of young people, which has, you know, comes up again. That's another thing that comes up quite a lot throughout the podcast series. Yeah, that was one thing that really stood out from that, that particular episode for me. Well, my massive hope is that local councils and sort of local funding authorities just realise the importance of culture, the importance to young people's lives, the absolute positive effect that you can have with culture and with so little, you know, they get involved and they support more grassroots, local initiatives. I don't think young people get enough credit for the sort of ingenuity and the initiatives they start there's quite often a lot of negativity and a lot of fear around youth culture and that's a real shame because it's so valuable to people growing up it's so valuable to areas so yeah my big hope is a local authority revolution
You mentioned when we first started talking about doing this being a way to investigate what you're doing and a way for you to kind of think about what you're doing and understand what you're doing as well. Yeah. How is that going? And I'm assuming that maybe you haven't reached conclusions now, but do you feel like doing Vision of Sound will influence your future solo work? And if it has, are you able to kind of identify how that might be at this point? So there's different elements. The conversation with Emma, for example, has really sort of um, reminded me of how important it is to keep questioning what I'm doing and keep making sure that I'm doing it for the right reasons and that the people that I am photographing or representing are happy. So whatever I do next, hopefully I'll have that in my head even more. It's just become more of a priority since talking to Emma about that. And that might affect the next series of the podcast in some way, or it might affect my next big project, or it might just affect when I go out and take pictures of anyone. I don't really do street photography anyway, because I don't like taking pictures of people without their permission but you know it even just sort of brings it home like even just being in a club or a community of any kind make sure that everybody there is okay with that Mm. not just to take it for granted that they are so that was one thing and then on a more general level just thinking more about my work and considering it more and how how it fits into history is it necessary is what I'm doing necessary who is it speaking to Who will it speak to in years to come? Why am I doing it? And what can I relate it to? Mm. So interestingly enough, when I was researching for the conversation with B+, just researching his work took me down so many wormholes in terms of reading and got me really back into reading for a while. And now I'm more inclined to sort of go back to like really in-depth reading when I approach a project. Mm. And just a general motivation to make things happen and get things done. It's really inspiring talking to other artists and creative people. It's a, it's a massive kick up the butt because you think, well, all of these people can do it. I can do it too. Well, and you have just done it. I have with this series. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, as we kind of touched on earlier, it's, it's a lot of work to do this kind of thing. We don't want to talk too much about the effort that's been involved in this, but I think it is worth talking about because we have so much content around and doing good things takes a lot of work. Doing things of value takes a lot of work. Yeah, it really does. I mean, it's almost like you have to find the line between um, doing something really, really well and not getting it done because you're thinking too hard about it being good. Mm. Hopefully I found the good line with this. You know, there's a couple of them where the sound quality isn't as good, but it's a question of like, well, I just, I want to keep this thing going. And if it's not perfect, then that's fine because it's real. Mm. And it also says something, you know, technology says something about an era and a time mm-hmm. as well. I think I learned that from Marshall McLuhan. who's a, a really great writer. The medium is the message. That's something we've had to do because of the pandemic. Mm. So that says something about the time that we're in. Mm which isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, not at all. But I can 100% say I wouldn't have been able to do this without having people involved like you and Ian and Claire, like I said earlier. That's been a massive takeaway for me from this whole thing, that having a team and 
oh look I'm going to say it again a community <laughs> um really makes a difference and really helps with motivation and getting things finished mm-hmm. and that's definitely something that I will take to future projects as well that understanding and insight mm. yeah I think that's something I, I need to learn I need to work out how to do that better and we hear this thing oh building a team all the time or often we hear this oh you know me and my team or we built a team and again it's one of these things that you can take as a soundbite or take as a kind of throwaway statement or something that people have just heard but actually it's true yeah to go back to Jeremy Della and no man is an island and these kind of which is a good a good time to say that was by John Don that quote <laughs> Because I couldn't think of the name during the actual episode. John Don. John Don. Wow. <laughs> no, it's a good name. A Vision of Sound Series 2. Yes. 2021. Yeah. It's exciting. It's exciting to think, I don't know, It's it, going, sorry, going back to kind of finishing this series, it, this feels like the right time to finish it because it's been so enjoyable, but I'm at the point where I feel like I need to take a breather. Um, I, and I am, I am really excited about the next series already, you know, as much as I'm, as much as I'm kind of excited to finish this series and have a break, <laughs> I'm also excited to think, Oh wow, I've got time, time to plan the next one and mm. learn from this one. There's 101 things that I could do differently next time. So it's nice to think I've got the time and space to work out what those things are and implement them and get through my massive guest list there's so many people that I still really want to talk to but yeah I'm excited for the next series Defo are you what are you how are you feeling about it Francis one thing that's been really enjoyable about doing this is hearing these conversations in this active way um doing bits of editing and you haven't literally got your hands on them but you're through software you're holding these conversations and that feels like quite a privilege and that's very that's an enjoyable experience so I'm looking forward to that um I have learned or perhaps relearned a lot of things about audio that I'd forgotten I've just learned a bit more about mastering I'm looking forward to series two sounding um a bit crispier perhaps I'm excited about that um that's maybe a bit nerdy but I'm interested in 2021 in general because it's mad to think that we started this before this huge pandemic that nobody in the world had any idea about knew was going to happen didn't Dominic Cummings do that in his blog oh yeah <laughs> that guy yeah he, he, he's so clever yeah <laughs> um so we started before that happened We've gone all the way through it. We haven't talked about it that much, but it has come up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Spring 2021, which is when hopefully series two will start. Who knows what, you know, it's just, I, mm. I, can't, I don't know what the world's going to look like and I don't know what things are going to be like for the arts. And maybe there's also, um, maybe there'll be art that will exist then that will have been impacted or affected by it or might be about it the nature of your conversations talking through someone's life's work have kind of meant that perhaps a lot of the subject matter that you engaged with was 
pre this period. Yeah. And so perhaps after that year, it might be that that has started to influence things that people are working on or have worked on. Well, definitely. I mean, already this week, there's an exhibition opening where um, Jeremy Deller is, I think, a patron. I'm not sure if that's the right title, but he's he's very heavily involved in what they do there. And he is now working with John from Sportsbanger to exhibit letters that were written and painted on by children all around the country. So basically everybody in the UK received a letter from the Prime Minister about the pandemic. And Johnny Sportsbanger put out a call on Instagram saying, tell us what you think about what's going on. You know, hey kids, write, you know, send us a painting or a letter on top of the letter that you were given, you were sent by Boris Johnson and send it to me. Yeah, so already it's happening. That art that's being made during this time is is being put out there. And, you know, guests that I've spoken to are engaging and working with and making work directly about this time. I'm looking forward to it. Yay, me too. Okay, brilliant. Thanks very much. Thank you, Francis Redman, for talking to me today. Thanks for being talked to. <laughs> Thanks. Where can we find out more about you and your work? Uh, I guess at the moment, francisredmond.com um, is the best place to go or get me at Francis Redmond on Twitter. You'll see some bits and pieces that I'm doing there, um, which includes uh, a radio show called We Have Sound, which goes out once a month on Threads Radio. Um, uh, I try not to talk too much about what the show is I think it's you know go and have a listen and then you'll dig it or you won't um, but I guess the thing that I really try and do is value music and value sound and I'm always thinking about the things that we've talked about here and what music means in terms of community and what radio means in terms of community and what sharing sound and sharing ideas and sharing music means and to value that yeah it's a great show i totally recommend people listen to that and especially if you've enjoyed the you know if you're a listener and you've enjoyed the sound and the soundtrack of our episodes because that has been created by the one and only francis redmond Thank you for listening. This is the last episode in the series, the first series of Vision of Sound. Thank you to everybody that has listened so far, has left comments, ratings, reviews, has subscribed, has joined us on Instagram or has sent us lovely messages of support or just to say hello or to say that they've been inspired. They're all really appreciated and it's nice to know that you're there listening and you're the people that we're going to be making the next series for so thanks again if you would like to support Vision of Sound and our future series and our future activities which includes our website and Instagram content because I do also write the odd article and um, post that goes in depth into artists then you can buy us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com forward slash vision of sound. Buy us as many coffees as you like and it will all help 
to our production and running costs. You can also continue to follow us on Instagram at The Vision of Sound and on our website, georginacook.net forward slash vision of sound. Thanks very much.